Welcome back, everybody, to the Precision Unloaded podcast. We have a special guest tonight. We've got James from Redacted Actual in Australia. Welcome, James, to the podcast. Yeah, good, thanks. So... Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, um, it's we're sort of running a t- people to talk to in New Zealand, so we thought we'd start um, bringing in some um, people from around uh, Australia and a few other places. Um, and <clears throat> me and you have been chatting on Instagram for the last month or two, so I thought, why not get you on and... Uh, sort of go over a few topics that we've that we've got here including um what redacted actual is um a bit of precision rifle shooting obviously and then some nrl 22 stuff that um, holds a bit of interest to me um so anyway so welcome uh so we might as well kick off right into it so how did you get your start in practical precision rifle shooting yeah thanks for having me on graham um i guess my sort of first understanding of precision rifle series was maybe like a lot of people seeing it really take off in the states and uh must have been about 20 2018 i would say where i uh i, I went down to the uh double SAA in south australia holding them a uh, kestrel meltdown back then uh, the monado meltdown uh, and uh, it was a massive eye-opener. Um, I really thought that I was, <laughs> uh, lo- I don't know, like a lot of people uh, maybe thought, yeah, they'll do quite well at this. Then I actually turned up and got absolutely hosed and um, really go with how, how I, you know, perceive my ability to shoot versus how I actually perform. So um, as humbling as it was, uh, basically... As soon as that first trip was done, I, I was hooked. I I couldn't think of anything, you know, funner to do. I come from a, a shooting, so my shooting background was all sort of very hobby shooting. Um, and I sort of got my license uh, in 2012, uh, 2000 and probably nine actually, and didn't really know much about. I saw that as a way of really, you know, increasing my skills and, and learning more about it um so very humbling but great experience bloody freezing as it always seems to be down in south australia when they're doing their shoots and yeah that prs match which was you know a two-day match <laughs> which you know had, had its own trials aside from that my you know i didn't really know about data and i hadn't worked out data for that new rifle i'd built and I also uh, had a major malfunction on my firearm where the bolt handle broke all day. So um, that's uh, that was my sort of first experience, the PRS. You, bro- you broke your bolt handle off. That's a... Um... Yeah, so I'd built a, a, you know, what I thought would be the perfect rifle for PRS and not knowing uh, anything. I built a... I bought a... When I say built, I mean I just assembled some parts. Um, I bought a factory... Uh, remington 700 uh i think they're the 5r mil specs gen 2 so the original ones were like a green heavy m24 barrel and then i had one of those in 308 but i heard that 65 creedmoor was all the rage Mm -hmm. so i bought one of those in 65 creedmoor and it was just an absolute lemon uh obviously it didn't even put 200 rounds through it before i broke the handle off must have been a friday built bolt that left that holds the bolt handle on and the bolt broke uh i found out after the fact but uh 
yeah, and built that up in a uh, MDT ESS chassis, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. And that, that was out actually just before the ACC had come out. So from a chassis upgrade, pretty much the Ducks Nuts back then. Um, I look at it now and think, oh, man, that wasn't balanced. You know, I had a fluted barrel on it, which was, you know, pretty pretty lightweight and, and heated up quite quickly. Was only a twenty-two inch barrel, I believe. I didn't have a muzzle brake on it. Yeah, and I was running a Vortex Viper PST Gen Two, which well wasn't a bad scope. That was my first sort of, you know, tactically orientated scope that I've ever had. So, but yeah, learned. Geez, I learned a lot since then. That's for sure. Yeah, the, you said you you went and you got you got hosed in your first match. I, funnily enough, reasonably experienced competitive shooter went to Aussie twice this year and got hosed both times. Um, going in with what should have been a lot more um, knowledge, but anyway, um, oh, that still doesn't like like say. Um, I'm assuming Australia is um, well. When I went over there, it's a little bit ahead in terms of what people's um, rifle builds are. But in the last sort of uh, since maybe 2016, 17, like in comps here, you'd still see a lot of um, essentially hunting guns, um, tikas. They might have ten round mags if they're lucky, um, and a lot of um, dialable hunting scopes and then you fast forward now through that you know the last um seven eight years and now everyone's got um purpose-built rigs essentially um so like you say 2019 that remington and the ess with a vortex wouldn't have been out of place here either um uh, yeah and i mean for the for the time and for what you know, I think I treated it as back then is, you know, this was just a hobby to make me shoot better and be better at hunting, right? Long range hunting was really what I was my passion. And I'll get into that. I'll learn how to shoot little targets at far away and then that'll transition back to the hunting world. But um, but now it's 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 completely shift, you know, like I, I won't I won't do anywhere near as much hunting and I'd rather just do the, the competitions. But in line with that hunting built you know like a, a a longer range hunting gun to with me i've got a purpose-built rifle you know for that application which is you know effectively just the game right it's just the the toy for the game so but it's uh it's definitely got me it's you know i try and shoot as many as i can three three matches for this year three two-day matches and then oh geez a good stick of local matches and then on top of that the nrl 22 as well yeah but uh that's sort of where redacted actual started as well well previously to redacted actual we were warlord gear Uh, yes i I, i've been following for a while and i remember the little switch and i never quite knew what happened yeah (laughs) yeah so it's probably just to explain that a good friend of mine so i'm uh ex-defense member um, a good friend of mine who, uh, you know, was pretty instrumental into me stuff. He always uh, thought that was a cool name. And apparently, I don't know, this story usually comes out with a few beers under his belt. Uh, his call sign overseas was Warlord. Uh, anyways, I won't out him on this channel. Uh, but uh, I, I hit him up and said, hey, I'd like to build gear to do and stuff like that. That's where I want to get into it. So do you got any dramas with me using? And he was quite happy with it. And that's like where Warlord Gear started. And then, uh, unfortunately, you know, being new to business and not really understanding, uh, you know, trademark laws and things like that, I didn't realise there was already a company, uh, Industries, and they, uh, down in Sydney, and they didn't quite take to fancy to me having that name. And so, uh, 
you know, a few letters backwards and forwards and I decided, look, I, I don't have the time or energy to put into fighting this, uh, nor do I really want to. This is a hobby. So uh, we, we decided to do the name change, which was what it is now is Redacted Actual. And the reason we come up with that is because we obviously I wrote down Warlord Gear and I said, all right, we can't have that name and put a big black marker through it. And I was like, oh, that's just like when you get Redacted Files. Uh, through you know done. I was like alright well redacted actual that'll do <laughs> it was a pretty quick name change I was like oh well we'll stick with it you know and so I probably should have thought of some other stuff but you know it's that's just that's you know how it ended up and so that's who, who we are now but it all sort of stemmed back from that first match where I'd uh, shot with literally a sand full of sock and that was my experience for a rear bag um, and then travelling down to that match I'd had a new board kid and we had a lot, a lot going on while I was traveling. I think my my second born child was six weeks old when we traveled down to that match. Uh, so I was pretty bad. But, but um, with the packing of all that gear and you know worrying about the kids stuff, I'd forgotten my sand sock. And uh, while I was floating around Adelaide trying to find some sort of rear bag that I knew I'd need for shooting, or that was my experience of shooting is with rear bags. I I absorbed an amount of money for a you know a a piece of uh, canvas with a bit of sand in it, and I just was, it blew me away that uh, people in the, you know, would pay that much money for a bit of gear, a bit of canvas, and we weren't super well off back then. I mean, we, you know, we, I, th- I thought to myself, well, I really like this, and my gun broke, and I needed to get that fixed and buy something else, so I'd rather just sit on the sewing machine and make my own bags and put that money into, you know, match fees and ammo and, mm-hmm and all the rest of it, and that's sort of how we started, and we had a, a privilege up at the Bigger and Rifle uh, Club up here in Queensland, which is where I started shooting PRS after that first match, and uh, I used to rock up with randomly sewed up bags sort of once a month, and after a while, some interest peaked from some boys, and hey, can you and make that, and so on and so forth, and yeah, it just ended up becoming, you know, the the money that paid for the hobby so which was really good and but was never super serious until sort of i guess last year uh as well it's, it's me and my wife's business and my wife you know i did a little bit of sewing but she was the majority of the brains behind the sewing machine um we just couldn't keep up with demand we had you know developed at the time what was our um i guess our most popular bag sort of the front rest bag which we called the micro barricade bag at the time or the mbb for those who remember and uh it's uh it just took a, a took off because uh, i think maybe a combination of availability of other products at the time uh, or alternative to what was available at the time as well um and we just couldn't yeah we couldn't keep up so that's when we decided to go righto we can make this a, a proper business now and applied you know applied for a proper business and an abn and set up a website and they're still sewing our bags here in queensland uh you know i'd finish up work in the afternoon and sit on the sewing machine till 11 o'clock at night and then i was like this is ridiculous i'm not i can't sew them that well um we're getting a few returns on you know gear that was busting and stuff like that so we need to take this offshore to to be fair Mm -hmm. i should probably just backtrack there a little bit graham we did try for six months to find local seamstresses in Australia to sew up our products and no one wanted a bar of it. Um, which was a little bit disheartening, but I guess when 
you see the state, I guess, probably New Zealand's probably not too dissimilar, is quite a lack of locally made products has just made, you know, a lot of places like Vietnam and India and China all yep. really explode in their manufacturing capabilities. So we ended up taking it offshore and it's probably the best thing we did because it developed new products and it's 10 shoots and it wasn't, and I wasn't sewing up the bags, which means that the end users was getting a much better product. <laughs> It's, it's probably not often that you think if you take your product offshore to China that you're going to get a better product, but honestly, the bags we've had coming back out of the absolutely fantastic and um, much better than anything I'd ever be able to make. Yeah, well, it's China's not what China was 20 years ago, is it either? It's um, They've sort of figured out if they want to sell a lot of stuff, they've got to make good gear. So, um, so you've also, you also do... Like, yeah bullet wallets you're doing the soft rifle cases look pretty awesome um yeah so we've we've actually and it's all all just sort of uh flows on from other other things right with more time we can develop you know if we're not sitting on the sewing machine we can develop new products developed uh and this is like just part of it right is we've i've just had the the fattest time becoming you know like a pseudo business well i guess it's a real business now but like Doing product development, making products, bringing to market, you know, trying to do research and debut onto something that's an absolute gangbusters, but it ends up being a flop. You know, it's just, it's it's been absolute passion of ours uh, and and trying to hit the right products with the right mark, you know, with what people want and then at a good price point. So like some of our more popular stuff has been the tripod plate that we sell. Um, which really, really is is was a was a blowback from our um, Arca Rail bag that didn't sell that well at all, and so what I did is I said, well, I've spent a shit ton Arca clamps and and uh, and canvas. If I just pull the uh, plate out of it and sell it as a side product, being being the uh, the Arca plate, mm-hmm. and end up going from a female clamp to a male clamp, or you know, in for the pick uh, Arca, sorry. So, and that have been selling absolute gangbusters. So it's funny, like sometimes you think in business you're onto something and I did set thought that rail bag was going to be an absolute game changer at the price point and the functionality. And it was, <laughs> it just didn't take off anywhere near as what we expected it to. Um, but then the, the tripod plate, which has been an absolute awesome product and get a lot of feedback, not from just within the, you know, the precision rifle shooting company, but from a lot of hunters as as well who are buying it to put exactly that on top of their tripod so that they can you know either put the binos on or put a backfield off tall grass rather than clipping in so it's that aspect of it is is really uh what's probably kept us going is uh you know trying to innovate new products that fit the market and not just bringing things out for the sake of bringing them out but it's been a good time it's definitely been fun that's for sure definitely learned a lot yeah, you would do. It's um that whole uh, knowing what to to release because I'm assuming in Australia the preci- like precision shooting it's sort of in your face. It's we we think it's the coolest thing ever, but it's it's a small part of the firearms market in in regards to um compared to hunting. Oh yeah, and if you I think if you look at the numbers, you know, licensed gun shooters, I think. Oh, don't quote me on these these are old numbers but i think it's like two to three million people in australia and then if you look at that as a breakdown to all the competition shooters and 
and then break that down again to PRS, which is really what we've sort of marketed our stuff towards. You know, it's a very small percentage of the populace and what we can do. And we know that. Um, and that's why, you know, of recently and um, I just happened now is we've just managed to secure a distributor in America uh, for our products, which is, you know, we're absolutely chuffed with. We never thought, you know, two years ago, some on stuff on the sewing machine would have led to this. So obviously you're everyone's pretty aware of the American gun collision rifle scene and and we're hoping that that's really going to, you know, open up a few more doors for us for new product development, new ideas, different, you know, different feedback from different people and and having a company which is uh, blue collar reloading uh, over in um, uh, over in Charlotte north carolina sorry um i'm pretty sure that's right uh those guys uh we while we were over in america we stopped in and had a yarn with them and showed them some gear and they were all about it and so they've just picked it up and sent it off so it's pretty exciting stuff yeah well like yeah that's a there's probably more shooters in the u.s than there is people in new zealand um so it's um it's a pretty big market <laughs> yeah so even even in new zealand yeah I mean, we're a... and it's exciting we're a small population. Um, I think most of your big cities have more than we have in our whole country. But uh, so what do we? We've just dipped under around. We're about five million, and we've got two hundred fifty thousand licensed out of that. So yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, so, that's pretty good numbers. That's, that's a pretty good ratio. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, we're a pretty small country, but um, a lot of people, mostly hunting, um, by the by a huge yeah. margin. Um, but but yeah. So that if you can. Like you say, the tripod plate, as, as tripods become more popular with hunters, um, uh, people can get upset about people using tripods all they like, but some people like using them, and the plates um, definitely make them more versatile because um, they might not want to arc up their hunting gun. They might just want to um, chuck it on top with a bag or chuck their binos yeah. on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the, that's obviously the problem, right? If And I, I'm a myself, I marker on it, so if I want to shoot it off a tripod, which I don't mind doing, I need another. I need some. I need something else, right? And so a little flat, flat plate that you can put on there, and you know, basically just makes it. It's nearly identical to the, uh, the skill stage two barricade. Once I set, I've got that. I think it's inverted tripod. Yeah. Um, where it's just a single thing, and like once I set that up there, it, it just feels so natural. Uh, and you're like you said, from a hunting perspective. Another thing we're finding is uh, guys are buying them for shooting aids. Like instead of, because they can't, obviously guys a lot of live in suburbia and they can't, you know, it's in their backyard and stuff or that, you know, their garage has got their cars in it. But what they can do is they can set a tripod up at any height and then put that plate on it and then there's your flat surface to do your dry firing from and building your positions on. So, I mean, and this is an idea I've come up with. This is what people have told me after the fact. That's initiative right there. Like, you know, improvise, adapt overcome right and do whatever you can so you can uh so you can get the job done which is awesome but yeah we're, we're yeah very proud of what we've sort of developed and and where we've come from and and hopefully future will be even more exciting so yeah no that's cool i didn't know about the u.s um, opportunities that's that's pretty awesome actually so if, if so i <clears throat> yeah i um when i was in australia i went through is it barnsdale burnsdale um, on the way to Buckham and there's a shop yeah. there, Gunsport Trading, which is a pretty awesome shop. Yes. Um, and they had your gear there. So I'd only seen it on Instagram prior to that. Um, so I, I actually purchased one of your bags. Yeah. 
bought at home. Um, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah. Um, to be honest, what a cool shop. Um, like they had. Um, yeah, I haven't had the chance to go into the shop. Um, the guys are super awesome on the phone though. And uh, who was it? Someone was down at the Monado match. Uh, anyways, um, great guys. They basically approached us and said, "Hey, we'd love to get some of it in store. We think it's you know it's well placed to to at the good price point to be an alternative option and and you know that's what we've yeah you know I think between those guys we've got nearly someone in every state we've got I think two people in Western Australia don't have anyone in Darwin and we don't have anyone in Tasmania yet um, but we've got a couple of good gun shops in in uh, Queensland New South Wales uh, Victoria uh, South Australia yeah so we're getting around we just uh, WA yeah so I think we're at 14 in australia here so pretty chuffed that's awesome and in, in, that. in the modern era most people just sell online but to actually have it and um where people can get their hands on it or um that's yeah that's neat um so how do we well yeah and that it how do how would Sorry, someone go about getting it in new zealand currently you can you can post to yeah i can i can i mean i have tried to set up my website for um purchases in new zealand but i think i got it turned off because there was a problem with someone uh anyways but i need to look into that but at present there isn't we don't have a network set up in new zealand so i unless you're buying stuff through australia or off the website which i'll i'll actually look in tomorrow i saw that on one of your questions is how do we get it in new zealand like i got really gonna look into that um because i don't yeah there, there isn't a, there is unless you set up in Australia, there isn't a way to get it in New Zealand yet. So if you can think of anyone who'd be interested in stocking it, oh, we'll have to chat after this for sure. But uh, otherwise, buying it direct from us on the website. But that's why the model of I, I personally wanted to put the stuff in as many shops as we could have a backup for people, is because I think in this world we live in, where everything's bought online and then stuff doesn't work or doesn't fit or it's not quite right. People end up, you know, it just turns to waste or they've wasted their money. And that's not what I, a background or ethos. So if we can get it in as many shops as we can, it means local shooters can come and get their hands on it and go either, yes, that's great and what I need, or no, that's not what I need. And, or, and so there's nothing I hate worse than buying something and it turning up in the mail and it being completely over try and get it in as many shops as we can. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. It's um, I've got a whole shelf full of uh, random shooting accessories I don't use, made out of canvas. So I know what you're saying. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. Mate, you try, once you start making it, you should see some of the prototype bags. I thought they were going to be amazing, and I'd get a prototype made up, and I'd get it here, and I'd use it for two minutes, and go, "This is absolute shit." <laughs> Just throw it in the pile in the corner. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I've got a bunch of but people. It, yeah, it is a bit that way. Yeah. I actually just I've got that many I just give away as well you know new shooters and stuff um, um, yeah. anyway anyway that's um, no it's yeah. and it's it is it sort of becomes it you know like from hunting gear to backpacks like I'm I'm like a gear junkie I love all of the you know like plate carriers and shooting vests and you know backpacks and different back, I've, I've got a problem that's for sure and if my wife was here she would agree with that. I need, yeah, I probably should speak to someone about that. But, yeah, it's good, though, like you said, because you've always got gear for someone who needs something to try. And, you know, if I can flick something to them and say, hey, try this, 
and then they go, oh no, that you spent the money, right? And not the other bloke as well, so. Yeah, I think it can be good for new shooters too. Uh, I, I'm quite big on trying to um, uh, get, get young shooters into the sport and stuff like that who are getting their license. So sometimes, you know, giving them a few things, um, you know, a spare bag or a, an old bipod or whatever um, can definitely uh, pr- promote their journey into the into the sport, into the game. So it's, um, Oh, yeah, we're very, very big on trying to get the new sh- shooters especially in uh because i've been because when we uh had bigger than shut down there was nowhere to them for probably a good 12 eight months eight to 12 months i'd say and so i that's how i sort of really started leaning into the nrl 22 stuff uh because i needed my competition fix and it was a good excuse to you know build a 22 rifle and because i'm fundamentally against those you know 22 trainers but um what we did find is that I wanted to start promoting the company and the brand within the, within that scene. But I was the guys who were always finishing first and second, they didn't need any new product. My wife decided that we're going to take whoever comes last uh, and give them a competition bag. So pretty much for about a good eight months, I was given, I was given away bags at every competition and it was always to the new people into the sport because I remember my first PRS match and you know barrel broke off and i put the wrong fuel in the car and all these things that happened but i was the first name drawn out of the hat to go and get a prize off the table and it made all of the negativity and all of the you know bad emotions associated with it uh it just melted away and now i'll always remember that so people you know they come last and you know unfortunately there's been a couple that have got a donut for a whole match and you just think oh my god that's it's horrible but if I can give them a bag, you know, and say, hey, you know what, we don't, we try to support people and, and you know, lucky or unlucky, you've come last and here's a bag because, you know, like the guys are at the top of the sport, they don't need our products, they've already got exactly the bags that they've been using for the past five, ten years or whatever and they're, they're jets with it, they wouldn't change no matter, no matter what. So, um, big on promoting that to try and, you know, keep, keep the new, uh, and, and, you know, give back where we can right mm-hmm. as yep. as much as i love making this gear for the shooters if, if you know if there wasn't people shooting then there'd be no one buying gears so it's uh it's a self-fulfilling prophecy you know, i'm just very selfish it makes me feel good to give stuff away too <laughs> so we've, we've bought up the nrl 22 um I, yes we've got a bunch to talk about here because i've been following <clears throat> um your instagram involved in that but I'm quite curious. So, how how did NRL 22 um, actually kick off in the in, in Australia? Um, so, I mean, I only I don't know how much of what I know to be true is, but I know that NRL 22 I'm pretty sure started in Australia with Adam Quinlan. Uh, he's uh, the gun shop owner of 3G Tactical. Pretty sure he spent a lot of time coming in, and I think he was the original person to to bring the shoot here. Um, obviously running his business is pretty, you know, like any business is, is probably quite demanding and it, he fell, uh, fell quite off with the actual shoots and a couple of local boys picked up a lot of the slack, uh, Jason Shaw and Jason Edwards, uh, two that come to mind, uh, and Ben Benecki, who, who sort of really drove the, uh, the 22 sort of, I guess, organizational side of things, um, you know. Building out the Facebook page, build to get get everyone on practice score, start running the matches, you know, setting them up, 
packing them down. They did a lot of work, those uh, those three guys, and they've actually since sort of, I guess, now converted from just those three guys to Precision Rimfire, uh, where they're kind of a little hub for uh, for all the 22, NRL 22 orientated stuff, uh, which, you know, predominantly started in Belmont uh, at QMRC, and that's another, uh, you know, hats off to QMRC. That's a, a little range at the back of the Belmont shooting was all too happy to host the NRL 22 discipline in a shooting, you know, and I think that's probably some of the biggest, uh, you know, hurdles that people face, whether it's in precision rifle or setting up NRL 22, is trying to convince the club that you want to shoot at that this is, you know, that is, you know, not going to bring demise to their club and, you know, their silhouette shooting or their, you know, a rim, you know, rimfire bench rest shooting and, and that sort of stuff. So, um, thankfully, QMRC really, really sort of led the charge with that as the lead club. And then from there, I know it's absolutely gone wild. Matches as far north as, as um, I mean, there's matches being run in Darwin uh, through, uh, I know, Butters and, and his guys up there are running. I don't know if they're running NRL 22 matches, but they're running that precision rimfire stuff. Um, and then you've got actual sanctioned uh, at Charters Towers in North Queensland, and then you know as far down south as uh, South Australia at uh, Monado there. But there's you know there's a lot of matches being held, and there's only more and more every week seem to be popping up. So you know it's amazing, it's awesome that those and were there to sort of set it up and go the nine you know the whole nine yards and develop the relationship with you know like t- the likes of Tyler and the guys from America who you know, are the brainchild of NRL 22. And and it, and it really is amazing because there was a time that was all shoot in Queensland. Uh, and um, it actually, you know, to me, I quite enjoy it. You know, it's I, I nearly enjoy it more than shooting center fire. I won't say I will because it's it, it's still only, you know, like that 100 yards. But, it, you know, the social aspects, no hearing protection. It doesn't, there's no reloading involved, you know, like... It's a very inexpensive sport uh, to shoot, and and very you know it's it's not cumbersome on the body and and uh, time. You're not driving all over the state trying to get to matches. So I really love it. I I agree. I I think it's so we have um well room fire stuff here, but I think it's the best way to uh, first of all bring new shooters in and to um mm. and to somewhat keep it affordable. Obviously, we know that can get blown sure, out of I the mean, water. Yeah, um, you could go crazy with it, and Lord knows I did. But uh, you also don't have to. I mean, if you look at the NRL Twenty Two Championship that just held over in America, which I was lucky enough to, to make it onto that team, uh, the guy, the kid who won it, or the guy who won it, sorry, he won it with a factory trigger, factory ticker, whatever they are, T One X or something, mm-hmm, yep. uh, factory magazines, and he, he smoked everyone. Uh, and you're talking like 300 shooters, and he beat them all out. And there's guys there like myself. I had there's guys there with ten thousand dollar twenty twos, and you're just thinking, and this kid with uh, everyone like it's it's pretty embarrassing. But I mean, it just goes to show that you don't have to spend big money to be effective in this sport. No, not at all. So, he, so one thing we're missing in New Zealand definitely is the uh, the grassroots events, the sort of. Um exactly what NRL 22 is right um the the 100 yard monthly club match essentially we so we've got in the north island here we've got the spark 22 series um which i'm heavily involved in 
but they're sort of national level matches if, if you could call it that um and there's yeah. there's no uh sort of breeding ground or feeder type um events really um so that's what we we've got a really really good series this year it's all field um <clears throat> uh, field matches too you know with the hills and um, i don't know if you've seen some photos from our match last weekend but steep angles yeah i did actually see yeah. that and i think that such a it's such a dynamic and, and awesome style of shooting that we de- we de- just don't get to do here yeah um and you know like as much as you say you don't have those man well i'm envious of some of those matches that you get to do i guess it's what but i've uh, i know we've been talking about possibly getting an over for a match in november as well mm-hmm. a yep. team match because uh, uh, i from from that and i mean i love shooting prs it's it's i guess i'd say my core stuff and then the nrl 22 has been really good just as a as a, a little you know top me up if you're trying to get his fix but then that next level of stuff i want to get into is those field matches you know that nrl hunter style match or even just where you're not on a concrete pad you're not under a tin roof and it's not a flat range it's you've got your gear and you have to move around the, the paddock with it and what you bring it and you left it in the car well tough titties like that sort of uh, that's really appealing to me and i know a couple of boys uh here in australia have gone over to america and been able to do a bit of shoots and i think uh i think you know we've talked about new zealand and a couple of matches over there and and uh you've been super helpful in pointing that out that's a thank you you know just could try and talk me shooting buddy into getting over to new zealand which i mean i don't think i have to talk him into it he's keen i just gotta talk the old the old uh the old wife into it, uh, getting his wife on board, getting my wife on board. We already went to America for one match this year, and I don't think it's going down too well. Otherwise, I'm leaving, leaving the wives behind. <laughs> Just bring the wives with you, have a week off work. and That'll be the ticket. <laughs> Although, to be honest, the, re- the, the region we're in, I guess there's a big mountain and stuff, um, but there's, there's no theme parks or anything. But but yeah, like I said, like so obviously oh, we've got we've got polar opposites. We've got the field matches and, and that kind of thing. But then you guys have the the yeah, the more grassroots club stuff, and this is right through to um, the Centerfire stuff. Um, uh, you know, same thing. Our our Centerfire matches are, are national level big matches. Uh, there's mm. there's very little in the way, if not none, in the way of um, small, uh, more low key. Um, t- yeah, that's what we're that's what we're lacking um and i say that um with the intent on possibly um organizing a few more uh, smaller events in the future but then then if next thing they know there's 50 people there and it's just a big match right so um i'm not sure how to yeah uh, yeah but well i yeah it is it's a hard one isn't it because i mean it's such a i guess such a you know we fought, I, I'm, I'm always surprised when we, so when we drive when we're shooting matches and we and bigger than we shut down because that was two and a half hours out of Brisbane or maybe a bit more about three and a half hours out of Brisbane uh, and then when that got shut down it was out to Wallambilla five and a half hour trip each way to go out and shoot a match and it was so damn hot out there when we we're shooting we had to basically drive out Saturday uh, or Friday night and then you would shoot basically in the afternoon sort of around four o'clock until dark and then you'd have to stop and shoot it's so damn hot we couldn't shoot in the middle of the day um and then you just think but still at those matches you're getting maybe 10 10 to 12 people rock up and they're not from <laughs> they're not from the area where the range is they're driving all over the, over the place so uh it's the same with the nrl 24 coming up from 
Coffs Harbour, you know, a good six six hours away just to just to shoot a match on the Saturday, which I mean, it's it speaks volumes to the sport uh, when you've got that kind of dedication by its participants. I think we'd be similar. So a lot of our events are in the Taranaki region, which is sort of halfway down the west coast of the North Island, and um, the 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 amount of local guys we get is very small, and we get guys from all around the country. We'll make the effort, but um, mm. yeah, it's it's yeah. I, I, who knows how how that all works? Um, <clears throat> so are you guys just doing this the standard hundred yard NRL twenty two, or are you getting any of the NRL X matches? So for those who don't realise, that's I believe they essentially give the um the match director the um a, a blank slate for course of fire and distances can go out to like 300, 400 yards, that kind of thing. Yeah, so I have shot one NRL X match, and again, that Bigot and Rifle Club, they're holding NRL X matches. Um, so, you know, the, the, the NRL 22 is it's the same course of fire shot around the world every month. So whether you're here or New Zealand or whatever, the match directors get the same course of fire and everyone shoots it and everyone logs their scores against that. And that's, I guess, how they, how they do that to rank everyone globally. Which I think they nose up at it because you know people get the opportunity to train for it and all, and you know then you know they say they're gaming it. I'm like, well, power to you. Like if you want to, if you've got the time and effort to go and train, get after it. I wish I had more time and effort to train. Um, but the twenty two X is exactly that match that the match director has one hundred percent control of, and I don't actually think there is a maximum limit. I've shot, I've shot the NRL X match out to three hundred meters i think we were at biggerton and that was at the first one held in australia and it and it was a massive learning curve it picked up so much because they'd only ever run center fire matches but then they're like right oh we can't run center fire matches let's get into the 22 stuff and they started running the nrl x or 22x or whatever whatever it's called but it was awesome you know because you're really stretching the limitations of that cartridge you know, that's that's half the fun you know they said you know, my data for 300 meters or 400 meters with a 22 is the same as shooting a mile with the six grade more. So um, it really is awesome. Uh, and again, it's a super chill vibe. No one seems to use is half the fun. Uh, and yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's not too bad. So the NRL X stuff is pretty regular. Once a month, there's an NRL 22X match at Biggerton, uh, and uh, I've got to start getting more of them, that's for sure. It's You mentioned the 22s um, being uh, equivalent of a, a 6.5 at the mile. With, with Centrefire, we, nearly everyone strives for like, oh, I need a better BC bullet, and I need to run you know, this velocity band, and this, and it bucks the wind, but with 22, it's the only cartridge any of us play with where the fact that it's performance is poor is what makes it really interesting. If that makes sense, like it's yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, it, it is, and and I like that aspect of it. You're not, you're not. Oh man, reloading. I is such a, a, it's such a beast. You know, I love. It. But um, yeah, literally, you can go out buy a pack of CCI standards if you're new, or if you fancy yourself a decent shooter, you get some SK match or long range or whatever you think works well in your gun. 
And you just go and shoot her. No one seems to care that the BCs like get down behind the gun, they read the wind and they shoot and they make corrections and they go from there. And I often think maybe that's the attitude I need to have a bit more incentive fire instead of stop worrying so much about, you know, the you know, squeezing the absolute most out of the BC of a bullet. I'm like, I'm pretty sure if I just lay down and shoot it, it's still going to shoot the yeah. long slender bullet or a flat tail bullet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... How did the process, uh, obviously <clears throat> uh, the NRL 22 matches, the next matches are affiliated to the US. How, how did they go about um, qualifying mm. different shooters to represent Australia in the US final? Did it Was it a, a, a state-based yeah, so, thing? Or? Yeah, so it was, it was, it's interesting because the, the championship, so they run sort of financial year. So the championship's held at the end of the financial year. But and for, you know, you're getting your firearms over and booking flights. We need to have a team who sort of are ready to go before we've had the finals in Australia. So uh, for last year, and I can speak to that because I went on it, they basically said by, I think it was January. It was either January or February of everyone's scores. And we're going to start going down the list. Righto, who, who can you financially contribute and say you're going to go to America now, yes or no? And then they just keep working down their list until they've filled their spots. Um, and so this was the, this was an interesting year because I think we had a lot, the year where Adam, I think Adam run it, um, there was like 10, maybe 10 or 12 or eight spots. And this year the boys managed to push and get 15 spots. So luckily they did because I was number 15 on the list at the time they scored it. And it was a bit, it was a bit interesting because everyone's like, well, how do we know the Australian team when we haven't shot the finale? Well, the problem is we shoot the finale the weekend that they shoot the, you know, American finale. So we wouldn't be able to send them anyway. So, yeah, it's kind of like that January, February, they sort of go, right, oh, we're pulling up stumps here based off of their shooting all year. And then that's that's where we're going to select the Australian team. And I think uh, at, I was maybe maybe like 19th or 20th on the, on the list, but obviously because a couple of guys couldn't, Maybe I was even higher than that, but maybe a couple of guys couldn't go, and that's how come I ended up getting it. was pretty good. Yeah, man. Uh, really fortunate, actually. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that, you know, the boys were taking care of me anyways, you know, trying to trying to take care of me because I try and give a bit of gear away as well I can. <laughs> so very lucky that yeah. I was picked on that team, I think. But thankfully, I didn't come. I didn't, I didn't finish last, so I was happy with that. <laughs> man, I would have jumped at that. That's... That's that's a cool opportunity. So so let's talk about the trip to the US. Um, was it last a month ago? Yeah, six weeks ago. It wasn't long ago, was it? Oh yeah. So yeah, it's about probably about a month ago. So I went with a good buddy of mine, um, John, uh, John Nichols. He's uh, from Up at Air, and he shoots at the local club up there at Charters Towers. Uh, so we've shot a couple of matches together, a couple of team matches at Biggerton, and uh, he also also made the cut so um he nodded and he said are you going i said oh, i think i think if i get a run on i'll go so he accepted and then i ended up getting a run on so we we decided to go together um we ended up sort of leaving australia on the uh tuesday before the match because i didn't you know i was in north carolina uh which is right sort of smarica um and i didn't want to sort of rock up and be super um jet lag so we sort of left on the tuesday we actually got there, uh, I think it was the the Wednesday night on uh, 4th of July. 
which was awesome, and went straight to bed because I was absolutely shattered from mm-hmm. like 27 hours of flying, which, yep. which was pretty hilarious. But uh, once we got uh, got over there, uh, we just Airbnb'd it, and we hired a car and went around, checked out North Carolina. Uh, we're staying down at a place. The shoot was down at a place, Fayetteville, and the sh- and the shoot was on a um, on a. I guess it's kind of like a private security base called the Griffin Group, an amazing facility. Uh, exactly what you sort of would imagine it to be like. Massive open fields, a road up the centre, and just ranges left. So we have it here. There's not fences. There's not, you know, backstops. It's just big bushland. And the theory is, oh, well, if the bullet makes it that far and goes through the bush and gets someone, oh, well, I guess it's on them for being on <laughs> private property. So yeah. just the whole vibe was, you know, like we were shooting... Uh, there wasn't lane ups, there was just little ranges set up. And they all laughed, like all the Griffin Group guys are laughing and they're like, it's just 22s, like what are we even worried about here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I remember on the second day, there some of those guys had gone around the back, sort of behind a couple of backstops where we were shooting and started doing some pistol drills. And a different vibe from what we've got in Australia, you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, great facility at the Griffin Group. And then, uh, so we rocked up on the Friday and everyone was able to validate their data, and they had all of the props set up. Sorry, not all of them. Approximately half of the props set up. Uh, go and ch- test, shoot on all of the props. They didn't. You didn't know what the match was, and there was targets all out there, but you didn't know whether they were going to be targets for the match or not. A lot of them were, but you could literally just test everything out, check it out, like try it, shoot off it, get your win value. Shoot. It's really different from anything I experienced. And then they had a heap of side matches, which was super fun. Uh, a lot of guys there testing stuff out, and uh, you know, like Bushnell was the core sponsor, and so they had a lot of gear there for people to try, and and it was really a good vibe. I would know probably should have been as I would sort of indulged a little bit the night before, but. <laughs> Nonetheless, I got there, validated my data, checked my zero, um, did all the side matches, had a yarn, and then yeah, pushed off back to back to the hotel for an early night. What was the hold in? I think it was. What was What was the, the setup you took? What was what was your rifle? Oh, so my rifle was I've got a Bagara V14R, mm-hmm. and I a uh, bit of a custom job. I got a ACC chassis. Uh, but I've actually chopped the front end off. They normally have 10 M-Lock slots on the side, but my local gunsmith here, uh, Lee Trengrove, I asked him, I said, hey, man, I want to... This thing's too long, and I don't want to put a new barrel on it because it's shooting pretty good, so can you just cut the forend down? It really bugged me that the barrel didn't stick out past it. A couple of guys on the internet have cut, like, two inches off the front or a little bit. I was like, nah, just cut it in half. I want to see what it looks like. So uh, when I cut it in half, that threw the weights completely out. And so I had to take the MDT standard stock off the rear and I put the M16 and then I just run a Magpul MOE stock with a cheek riser on it. And it absolutely balances perfectly with like no weight in it. Yeah. Uh, and then the optic I ran over there, it was the uh, Trace uh, Trace Advance from Zerotech. Yep. Uh, absolutely probably well overkill for a 22 but i absolutely loved it um uh probably um exactly what i needed running a trimmer trimmer uh trimmer three reticle sorry just getting something out of the way give me my 0.2 increments which was awesome yep um 
but re, you know really good Australian uh, Australian owned company uh, they've only been around for a couple of years but they're really making some traction here and uh, yeah was really happy with that setup yeah it sounds good I am um, I've got a I've got a, a 1022 which obviously you are illegal and in Australia, but the barrel's only like, oh, it must be 12 inches long, so I've, I have to have a suppressor yeah. to, so you so you don't put your yeah. fingers in front of the barrel and shoot your fingers off. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, 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 and that was, a, that was a concern of mine with that, and I know there's a lot of companies like making like barrel extensions, and some guys just said put a muzzle brake on it, and I could not bring myself to put a muzzle brake on a 22 as a diehard centerfire shooting's coming already. And uh, so I thought, well, bugger it. I think it's probably too long. And to be fair, like some of the MDT stocks, I know the ACC that they you can get, which is in letter for the CZ, has actually got a short, shorter forend anyways. It's not as short as what I've done, but making that front end shorter, it's definitely a unique piece of gear. Um, and I've got a mad rattle can or spray can paint job on the side. So that's, you know, makes it my own. No one picks it up and tries to take it home, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, oh, it sounds neat. Um, so we, we, we've not seen a lot of the zero techs here yet. We, we, they are in our... Um, uh, so we've got our main um, uh, sort of chain store in New Zealand. I don't know if you have chain stores for hunting in Australia, but we've got a brand called Hunting and Fishing <clears throat> that are right the way through the country. But the hunting options are there. Yeah. I'm yet to see much in the way of their precision models. Um, just please have well, I haven't seen them yet. Is, is what I'm beating around the bush at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I mean, and like uh, full disclosure, I've just the international sales rep for Zerotech. Yeah. Uh, uh, and um, definitely understand there's a lot of work I need to do over in New Zealand to help push that product, but. From a optics perspective, and a big part of why I run them and started working for them is I've just seen they've been around this, and they've already got a massive suite of optics. They're pushing so much money into R and D and and pushing money into making sure that they're building. You know, it's very similar to our mantra. You know, gear that people want and gear they're going to use, not just gear for. So I'm I'm pretty excited about big things. You know, the the Trace Advance is their first sort of. Um, push into into the uh japanese glass and um there's some big stuff coming out at the end of the year as well which will you know be a, a little bit more suited for them but there's a couple of guys running them here uh you know team zero tech in australia uh adam piramansky uh and mitch hogan over in mm -hmm. wa and then yep. also kieran williams here in queensland who's also affiliated with the queensland Precision Rifle Club or Precision Rifle Queensland Club, so they're going to be a pretty decent contender optic in the in the coming years. Yeah, I've been following um, uh, the Team Zero Tech uh, stuff on Instagram and stuff. It's been quite good, um, and some some sort of snazzy social media stuff. Yeah, that they're goes making some. Yeah, meat. yeah, it's um, oh, it's pretty cool range they got over there in WA too. But looks of it, I've not. Is that Western Australia? That's the real uh, not so gun friendly part. Australia, like less sorry, less yeah, gun friendly. It's probably shit. It's yeah, big. yeah. It's probably got probably some of the highest. I mean, between WA, oh, I'd say WA would have the worst restrictions. I'd say, and, and just the the absolute hoops to to jump through for a shooter to get through, and then you know, firstly, closely followed up by New South Wales. But uh, I think if you're gonna 
live in Australia and you want the, you know, the, like, you know, not lax, but most sensible gun where it's at. Yeah. It definitely struck the balance between, you know, I think good, well, could always be better, right? But pretty good legislation and a pretty good variety of things we can have without being too nonsensical about it, which is, which, you know, that's honestly how I feel, you know, look at a lot of the places around the world that have, you know, different laws and how that affects it, whether it be rightly or wrongly, it, it is what it is. So yeah, well, when mm, I was interesting, because I went to Buckham and I was running a, a um, yep. oh shit, what's the, uh, it must be Sam's BA comp chassis, which is a folder. I, to be honest, I've, I'd lock the folder out because I don't use it. Cause anyhow, yeah. But then um, talking to Trent about the next match in New South Wales, he just mentioned something about guys with the different laws. And I was like, what are the different laws? And he's like, oh, you don't have folders and stuff. And I was like, oh, man, yeah. I've, I've got, I'm coming back in like three and a half weeks and I have a folder. So I had to um, talk to my sponsors nicely and get a, a new chassis real quick because um, I was already permitted yeah. to bring that firearm to New South Wales, right? Um, so it's such to... a pain in the butt because like I was in the exactly the same position. I was shooting that Kdex uh, Strike Pro chassis at the time. Yeah. Um. And yeah, you cannot even take it into New South Wales. You know, I've been hundreds of emails and phone phone calls trying to get permits and get the right information about is it pinned legal, is it not legal, and there's just absolutely no one willing to put their hand up and say yes, this is what you can do and this is what you can't do. It's like, well, I'm not risking it, so went back to shooting my ACC uh, and it, yeah. So easier not having to worry about, you know, yeah. sport, the sport and not being able to do it anymore. That would be the worst. Yeah, well, I think, when, to be honest, when I flew into um, Sydney, the um, what do you, the Border Force mm. people, th- th- they were very polite, very good to deal with. They wouldn't have even noticed if I was bringing in a folder. Yeah, but, it's funny. But I'm not um, going to risk it, you know. Yeah, that's right. It's funny. I, I was in the same boat when we came home from America. We uh, we missed our flight, and that was uh, another story. Yeah, you know, just a real different system to, you know, there's a line of people, and if you're not there 15 minutes before it closes, you lose your seat and someone else gets it. Anyways, I don't quite understand it and was quite mad about it, but we ended up having to fly instead of direct back to Sydney we had to end up, sorry, direct back to Brisbane, we had to fly through water force paperwork to, to leave with a firearm. And it's also, you know, like your returning port is Brisbane. Like, oh, how's this going to go? And literally me and John, and then it must have been some special forces like America's all rocked up at the airport with firearms at the same time. And they've opened our cases and just gone, the, the look on their face, what the hell we're looking at. Uh, and they're like, hey, is this, is this clear? I was like, yep, that's the empty chamber flag. So if you remove that, and obviously you're at the airport, you're trying to be super, you know, uh, doing everything by the book. And you're like, if you remove that and have a look down there, you'll see it's empty, the bolts in the other pocket, so on and so forth. People who are policing it, it's definitely disappointing to see that their lack of knowledge in it, particularly at, you know, those entry and exit points. But it's exactly like what you said. Like I could have brought back a, a 1022 and I don't think the, the lady checking me would have known any different if it had the same serial number so which is you know a bit concerning and make it easy if you're trying to get out like a we didn't we weren't there for very long that was for sure yeah yeah it's it's to look at what's involved with coming over to new zealand with a firearm because i'm definitely keen to get over and do a shoot over there it's it's our our end oh i've only so 
if I come over to your country, I have to re-import my mm. firearm into New Zealand. So I, I, I'm not sure about uh, for a, for a foreigner, but I just have to apply for an importation permit, and um, they can be quick. Yeah. They can take a long time, but um, you can generally, if you bring a few people, get them moved along pretty quick. Um, and then, <clears throat> essentially, when I come back in, you just have to. Um, Go and see. There's like a police section at custom, what we call customs. You guys call border force. They'll collect it from baggage and um, yep. they check the number and then they just same thing as your guys' airport. They'll just um, take you through um, to the front of the lines and then send you on your way. It's um, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. I, I I don't Doesn't know sound what. Too bad. Yeah, are I you, was, yeah, I'm not sure how you it'd go for you though. Being, um, being yeah. Uh, leaving and going to america with a gun and then coming back then you know now after the fact you realize oh this is just a process and once you do the process it's just about making sure you're doing everything right so i'm, I'm pretty excited to get over to new zealand hopefully like you said in and there's the match in november that team match so we'll definitely see see how it goes yeah there's all, the the offside to it is we can always um, wrangle up a few rifles over here for you to use um yeah, for sure. You can just bring That's your awesome. bring your chose. Well, you can supply scopes, but I mean, you can bring over your your zero tech and just bolt it on and zero it up, and off you go. You know, hey, even if you did a twenty two match, we could supply you with a ten twenty two with a suppressor. Oh, I mean, that is something that I was very envious of a lot in America, and I've seen a lot of stuff in New Zealand with the suppressors. And man, it just seems like such a more gentlemanly way to right, just not so loud and and abrupt but uh yeah that that's that suppressor life is what i'm all about if i if we could get that here i'd have one on every gun i reckon we we would have had our rimfire match on um this weekend gone oh i didn't take statistics on it but it would have been 95 percent of the field or at least 90 percent would have been suppressed yeah right yeah well they're like it'd be interesting like one they're like a hundred bucks for a suppressor Sorry, they're cheap you know they're not how much? A oh, hundred. Like a you buy a cheap Chinese one, sort of, sort of, sort of um, really basic, you know, sixty bucks, and then you'll get the nicer ones, like a, a Swiss B and T for like one hundred and fifty Kiwi, yep. so one hundred and forty Aussie. Yeah, I've wow. got I've got like ten of them. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, um, even with our bands, with with the, um, a couple of years ago with all the other stuff, <clears throat> they were um, yeah they. The, the, essentially, the police like you to use suppressors because they get less noise complaints. Yeah, and that's it. Like, so I, I live on a farm uh, in uh, out the back of Kenilworth there, and we've got a lot of feral deer, uh, pigs, and some dogs as well. And so I'll often go out and do a bit of shooting, uh, mainly just to make sure if I'm going to go out hunting that night or spotlighting, I'll see if my gun's all zeroed, right? Check some data. And then every time about noise, and I'm on 120 acres, but obviously where I live is is full of, I guess, people who are out here to retire and don't want to listen to shooting at sort of five, four o'clock in the afternoon, five o'clock in the afternoon. So, and I just think it would be such an easier life uh, if the if the police were us, but they're not about it. So, well, well, we crack on with it. That that was the, I went um when I was we're in Buckham, some of the local um boys took us out for a night shoot and um uh, anyway that the first we had to shoot the first um we had to shoot some fellow deer and stuff and he goes i oh, remember 
we're not shooting suppress, so you're gonna have to block your ears. And we were we were kind of me and my friend Mark, and we were sort of taken aback, like, why would you not be suppressed? We're night shooting, you know, like what's and then, oh yeah, that's right, it's illegal. Yeah. Um. That yeah, that's just something you take for granted here, I guess. Um. The availability of suppressors. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the same sort of. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's other places that wish we they had the laws we have. You know, you talk they talk about England having quite restrictive laws as well. But um, but now it is. Um, but no, it's uh, it's 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 been a good definitely. It'd be interesting, I guess, if they make suppressors legal. How many TMBs will still be on the line? I've always wondered that. <laughs> when we, the next fad comes along, what will happen to the old one? We um we we're still in our centre fire, uh, probably more breaks and suppressors really yeah as people play the um see we're always a few years behind but we copy us um, styles just like um just like you see in aussie essentially we're just the last to do it in my opinion um so same thing tmbs or um area 419 breaks um there's still suppressors um just less less so when i first got into it in like 2015 um it was probably 90% of the field was suppressed or thereabouts, you know, and it's just, but yeah. that's that transition because everybody's hunting rifle is suppressed here unless it's an ultra lightweight mountain gun. Everyone's got suppressors on their hunting gun yeah. and, and the rifles being used were hunting guns. Um, and, and what was, what's some of the more color combat? Are they, were they still a lot that, you know, some of the guys chasing the big 300 wind mags and, and then the 308s or did you sort of, come at it from seeing i guess us and and the and the u.s sort of trending towards those six mils and was there a lot of 243s in it or not really uh, when i first started there was um it was still quite common to see seven mil rims and 300 wins and um and yeah, seven millimeter 08 i'm not sure how popular that is in aussie but it's very popular here in hunting so you'd see a lot of them mm-hmm. and then six five creed was starting to um become popular um all over the world right and um and then yeah. and then everyone kind of built started putting together rifles or, or building rifles at the start when everyone sort of started getting purpose-built gear it was 6.5 creed and maybe some 260s and then that's and maybe the old fast twist 243 but that was ahead of its time and then in the last three years we've started transitioning to you know six creeds and now the BRs and the uh, GTs um, uh, are one of the more popular ones, but it's probably still 6.5. Creedmoor is still the most popular across the range. Yeah. yeah especially no, with the newer shooters. It's interesting because I, I just got back from a match on the weekend and we went down to Nyoko Range in New South Wales and it was a bit of a trial, a bit of a what's going to become the state of origin for PRS in Australia. Um, uh, it's a roughly the same amount of time travel from from those a lot of those guys in the precision rifle new south wales as what it is for us in precision rifle queensland you know a lot of the guys uh, used to shoot in you know that 500 meter max with the prs rifles and we were shooting out to, to i think 1180 meters was the furthest one and so a lot of guys with those tiny little brs or you know tiny it's the brs or you know they're they're going for that so 
you know, like sitting in the car on the way back and just watching the group chat blow up about everyone who wants to build back to a 6.5 Creed more just for Nyoka and stuff like that. And you just think, oh man, it's, yeah, it, it is exactly that, isn't it? Just a game and just picking the tool for it. So yeah, shooting out, shooting that center fire out to, uh, they also got a mile target out there, um, which I've never shot at before and was, was, uh, you know, I've got a six Creed more for my center gun and I was lucky enough to get on after uh, I think third round impact and then two more subs out so I was pretty happy with that that's good going that's real good mm. we, we we see the same so uh, uh, we, um, we run two matches like big centerfire matches each year we run one in February which is a, a two day uh, but with two separate courses of fire on two different parts of the property and the first day uh, the targets yep. go out to about 1200 metres and it's also your... Uh, and what match is that? Uh, that's what we call the uh, RTD Long Range Challenge at the end of February. It's, um, it's one of the bigger, if not the yeah. biggest one in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and the same thing, Some now that some of the guys are getting these um, these almost mini-action calibers, the BRs and the, uh, the freaking, yeah. you know, the bench rest catchers, um, man, they don't splash very well at 1,000 plus metres. And so, so that's the thing in New Zealand is um, you've got to have a bullet that splashes well because a lot we're in vegetated topsoil, right? This um, you may have caught on. We we have a lot of dairy cows and grow a lot of grass in this country. We've got it's quite often there'll be eight inches yeah. of grass or more around the target. So if you've got a like the Burgess and such or Sierra SMKs, um, they don't show much signature. Whereas like an ELDM or an ATIP, they um they tend to sort of explode in the ground and give you a good signature. So if you've got a slow bullet, yeah. a slow six mil, very little energy, and it doesn't expand, um, you're not going to see where it's going if it's windy. So, um, yeah, so like I, I shoot six Creed a lot, and that was an advantage at that match um, compared to, say, Australia, where it was yeah. probably a bit much, right? there was guys making impacts but we didn't know they were impacts because the steel didn't move it didn't chip the paint off but we heard the uh the signature old you know gong of the steel about it felt like about two to three seconds after after the fact so that was you know a lot of the ways we were called we can't see hang on a minute oh dong oh jesus right oh, we got a hit and that was even out of the thousand meters with those six six brs and I don't think someone someone had a GT there. Yeah, Dave actually. Dave uh, Hawkins was shooting his GT. That guy was a weapon. He he literally just punted from the internet and then zeroed it on the day and then ended up taking first place by about like ten points, I think. Nice at that long range match. So a GT, I mean, unreal. But it's the shooter, right? Dave is a phenomenal shooter. Yeah, it's um one thing we use a lot on our on our um. Uh, if anything's past six seven hundred meters, normally we all and it's and it's a reasonable size plate. Um, we have a bunch of those magneto speed flash indicators. Um, yeah. Between so there, there's another. So, we had them too, but they were just in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they're uh, same thing. Uh, if someone's competing with a two two three, even with an eighty eight grain bullet or something, um, seven hundred meters, they're not moving the plate much. So put the flashes on there, and it um, no, not at all. It takes away that um that potential for a, a, a calling a hit that's not or or calling a miss that's a hit yeah 
yeah, they're just ex- expensive. But we've, uh, between us and GPRE, who, who do the other big matches here, who we work with, I think we've got about nine or ten between us. So we're normally pretty good um, yep. in the bigger matches. That's yeah. probably a good segue. I know that we've talked about it, but how, how do you go about finding these field matches if you're an Australian Australian looking to come over and do some shooting because I know it was a bit of a struggle for me to find it. I found a lot of the stuff was on some Facebook pages and maybe you know I think the the most well known one. But I don't even know if they do them do that particular match anymore if it's called something different or whatever. So what what was the best way to get a hold of hold of matches over there? Uh, so as you as you said, the majority of it's still advertised through Facebook um, and then local circles. Um, like most yeah. things nowadays, so yeah. So, so uh, my page uh, TLRS or, um, or GPRE, like these are just acronyms, right? But there is a website that's been started up um, that's doing all the South Island matches called um, FieldShooting.nz. Um, that's definitely got all the South Island stuff on it. Um, yeah, it's mostly it's mostly just through the Facebook pages, to be honest, man. Like we don't have. Um, oh, I've got a website, but I don't pop, not not particularly active in populating it, right? So because um, Partially yeah, because nah, that's all good. I because I just it's I put the thing up like I I try to give two to three months of notice on an event, although people generally know when they are, and it'll just sell out. So my uh, limited uh, interest in marketing thinks, well, it's already selling out. So why should I go to a bunch of effort to do the same thing? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't that's help right. new shooters, which is a good point. Well, and you'll put it up and you might get 150 people who want to come and shoot a match that's really designed for 50, right? So there's always that side of it as well. As good as it, as good as it is to have growth, sometimes it can be a bit daunting having interest yeah, all at once. I think the, the area I really want to see more growth is, is in the Rimfire series. So um, pu- purely because we've talked about it several times already, but the man, a lot of people see the scene of fire and think... My gun can't do that, or I, I can't afford to do that. <clears throat> but like we have a what, what's called hunter class in, in our rimfire series, and you've you've got an old like um, Slazinger twenty two with a ten round mag and a three to nine scope. It's like you're good to go, man. Yeah. You know, like because because in that class yeah, that's we it. we don't allow dialing, we don't allow parallax yep. adjustment on the clock, we allow maximum of ten power. So you could have a Gucci scope, you could have your trace on there, but we'd say. Hey, listen, James. Yep. Um, no more than ten power. We're gonna max it out at ten. Yeah, and you're, you you yeah, can have a reticle, sure. but uh, and no adjusting your parallax on the clock. So, like, set it beforehand. Yep. So, you might have a target at ten meters and a target at hundred. You're gonna have to find a sweet spot in the middle, um, because that guy with the three to nine. Yeah. That's all he has, and, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, and yeah. We're, we're seeing. No, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, we're seeing a bit of growth there, and new shooters coming in, and then making that. And we also have a complete separate course of fire for them. Um, different targets, yeah, bigger okay. targets. That um, makes sense. I've, if you've got a really hard target array, um, this is where I like what NRL does because it's not it's yeah. not too hard. But if it's really hard and unachievable for a brand new shooter, like you said about the prizes earlier, that they might come out of the day with um, five hits out of a hundred shots, or um, and they're probably thinking, yeah, I didn't really have any fun. You know, it's hard and. But if they come out of it with like fifty percent, um, I don't know. I, they might come back. Um, that, that's how I view it. People oh. disagree with me, but um, I, I don't really mind what they disagree with. Um, 
Yeah, they can write their own matches if they don't like it, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 we get a bit of that. Yeah, no, you're right. So that's, um, yeah, so, so hey, maybe I need to put more effort into my website and advertising the uh, the 22 series. Um. No, well, we'll get on a punch it. I'm definitely keen to come over and shoot a Centerfire match, and I should try and do a 22 match while I'm there uh, and just really get after it because... I think there's this barrier, right? When you're traveling with inside of Australia, you think, okay, it's you know, it's going to be expensive, but it's not going to be too bad. But I swear to God, some of the times where we've gone to look, I know Darwin, for example, I was looking at flights at Darwin yesterday, and it's like sixteen hundred bucks or something. And admittedly, I'm booking us to do it, but I could jump on a plane and go to New Zealand for like six hundred bucks. Yeah. So this whole, I think I need to get out of the mentality, and I think maybe a lot of guys do as well. And you know, like. Probably you've seen it from your side as well. No, there's a couple of guys who come over and shoot the PRS matches. You're probably not actually coming from New Zealand to a match with accommodation and food and everything like that as what it is for me to fly down from Queensland and do the same thing. So I've, I've definitely been having a, a good yarn with a couple of my good mates I shoot with. And I'm like, I, I want to go and at least do a match in New Zealand, obviously a red deer hunt as well. And it's probably going to be around the same price of me going down to shoot a PRS match for the weekend. Once you put all the put all the bells and whistles on it, yeah. Uh, the plus side is I get to do go and shoot somewhere differently and meet a bunch of new dudes who are obviously awesome as well. So, yeah, I think we'll start doing it. I mean, you guys have really led the push by coming over and shooting um, Anthony and yourself. And there's a couple other guys, really good guys I met down at Hilltop, but I was just so cold I can't hardly remember anyone. It was freaking freezing. <laughs> Um, but uh, come over to New Zealand and start bridge the divide, I guess I'd say, and you know get over the fact that it's just another country. Well, one one good thing about if Aussies um, well, Aussies come here is um, the the skill level's higher in Australia currently, and it would it would uh, drag us up, in my opinion, to have more uh, top level know. guys coming. I don't know in. about the skill. I don't know about the skill level being higher, mate. I don't think I've ever sat in a podium, and I'm pretty sure that that. F- Freaking nature, Anthony. He's been on pretty well every podium he's ever come over for, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> real. That guy is a mentally good shooter. Yeah, he's a one-off. I tell you what, if if you had half a dozen Aussies turn up um, to one of our major matches, it would a lot of people who would be regular top fives, top tens would be like, "Hey, why am I fourteenth? Um, there'd be a bit of a shock. <laughs> I'm the, I, people, yeah, it's but maybe but, that's the trick. Maybe that's my, in a in a decent center fire match. It's just go to go to a country that doesn't shoot it as much. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Come over a, here. Logical <laughs> way of thinking of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, awesome. Hey, listen, this has nah, been a great good. this has been a great podcast. We've, we've covered off all our topics. Um, so we can uh, we can we can push. Uh, um, we can finish it up there, really. Uh, we'll hang around and, and yarn for yeah, a second awesome. afterwards. But hey, listen, thanks for coming on. Um, it's, it's been a good chat and a bit of a interesting few different topics for the uh, Kiwi listeners. Um, yeah, so... No, it's been absolutely... Uh, uh, like I said, I think this is pretty well my first podcast, so very feel very honoured to be... Uh, did you say I'm the first Australian on your podcast in Ooh, New Zealand? You might be. If I am, you've really set the bar low, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> There's plenty of room for I don't know if there is much room for improvement. All the guys I met, to be honest, they're all creatures. So uh, they're just, just as bad as us. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. No, but yeah, thanks for having me. It's been awesome. No. Uh, and hopefully we can get some uh, RA products over in New Zealand uh, for your 
competitors to get get a trial out on and get it over there. No, that sounds awesome, mate. All right, well, hey, thanks for coming on and thanks to everyone who listened uh, to the podcast. You will hear from us again soon.